So that thing was literally, I downed it, I laid down listening to music, and then I woke up and we landed. I was like, what the hell did you do with like 18 hours ago? It was perfect. Welcome to the Well Played DLC Podcast, Australia's juiciest gaming podcast. I am Zach Jackson, joined by James Wood. Howdy, gamers. Ash Whaling. Wah! What? I'm not final billing? Weird. Sorry. Nathan Hennessy is with us as well. I'm certainly here. <laughs> <laughs> Put your magic cards on. <laughs> final billing is Jordan Garcia joining us. How are you going? Ah, uh, not too bad. So you say the minority for last? Absolutely, mate. And we're how we like it. <laughs> wow. Usually I'm last. Does that mean Tasmania? Oh, that is. This is already fucked. <laughs> this is yeah. a train wreck Great already. Start. How are we all? Big A O K. Big A O K. Absolutely. Yeah, Nathan's just shared a very sad story with us that I think needs to be shared with all of our listeners yeah, he, as well. He took an Uber. Yeah, but beyond so only that, beyond I, the trauma. Not only have I delayed our recording session tonight by what has almost been a couple of hours, I left I left a collector's booster of magic cards, like like new release magic cards in the back of the Uber, and they're gone, baby. They're gone. You need to message the Uber driver right now. I'm you, telling you, honestly, mate, when you leave the Uber, it's always got to be phone, wallet, keys, magic, magic, magic cards. cards. <laughs> <laughs> I was good until yeah. the magic cards, yeah. boys. I, you know, I, 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 I can definitely see Zach checking for his magic cards. <laughs> That's it. Uh, actually, I caught a I caught a Diddy the other night. Uh, Diddy, did you? Band and Diddy, and, uh, mate, had a great great driver. We had a good chat about CDs, and it was great. It was top CDs, what a legend. Nice. I, I, I caught an Uber the other day and got a lovely young lady who was in college. This is in the US, by the way. And she was quite tickled that I was from Australia and that ACDC was playing on the radio. Oh, oh it's, it's like you, but on the radio. Oh, oh you, yeah. I was, I was like, oh, yeah, they are Australian, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Points for Yeah, trying. right. Very exciting. Well, let's get stuck straight into it. Uh, Ash, you have been. I want to talk to, about this first because this is very, very exciting. You've been, as we just heard, to America to check out BlizzCon. Sure did. I got shipped out from my tiny frigid island of Tasmania and shipped off to Los Angeles, the city of uh, broken dreams. Well, technically Anaheim, but it was California. And uh, yeah, got sent to BlizzCon to experience the first BlizzCon in four years because BlizzCon hasn't been a thing for a couple of years because of uh, COVID and all the allegations. But um, <laughs> enough of that. Fuck me. Yeah. No, but it, it's true. You know, they, they said, we don't really feel like celebrating Blizzard this year because no one else is celebrating Blizzard this year, which is poignant. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. return to form. First time since 2019, 2023 brought us back to BlizzCon. And uh, I got to see it, which is weird because it's one of those things I never thought I'd ever get to. Have you not been to one before? I thought you'd been to one previously. No, oh. God, no. No, I've been to Comic-Con in America. But Comic-Con, that's sort of like Comic-Con, the, the okay. catch-all, if you're going to do a convention in America, might as well make it Comic-Con because it's everything. Like, everything, everything. Bit of a slurry. Yeah, yeah a, bit of a, a bit of a pop culture mix of everything. You know, you've got your Doctor Who in there with your Twilights, whether you like it or not. Um, 
but yeah, BlizzCon, obviously hyper-specific. It's obviously all things Blizzard, all the Blizzard IPs, because that's sort of what Blizzard does, is have very specific IPs that, you know, they kind of invest in and we obsess over each one of them and yeah. Kind of like Nintendo a bit, isn't it? Kind of, but there's not like a Nintendo con. Like it's it actually, I was having this discussion, like what other company could pull off a BlizzCon-esque thing and actually really nail it? And I sort of went, probably Nintendo, because, you know. I thought the Switch was the Nintendo con. So, oh, did it bring you joy? Are you, are you asking for more applause from people off screen? Because it's not happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the joy con. Um, but yeah, John, it was pretty John, neat. John's going to dub in some applause there. You know he that, will. Right? Well, I mean, when you... When <laughs> you oh, yeah, because I put in that much effort, yeah. When you have editing <laughs> control, you can do anything. Like, he's going to do yeah, a funny exactly. sound effect right now. <laughs> All right, moving on from that. Um, yeah, it was pretty nif- nifty. The Anaheim Convention Center is massive, but then again, so is everything in America. But um, the whole shtick is that, like, they had individual halls dedicated to sort of each major Blizzard property, except StarCraft, because what StarCraft, baby? Dead. That's what it is. And, uh, yeah, obviously massive announcements, big names, big personalities. Chris Metzen come out on stage and announced not one but three WoW expansions because uh, apparently Blizzard's getting back to long-form storytelling, which admittedly is probably a good thing. Like they've said, like, you know, this these three expansions are going to make this arc of storytelling. And cool, I'm down for that. I mean, it's, it's World of Warcraft storytelling. It's, you know, it's not going to win any massive major awards, but the people who've been alive for 30 years and enjoyed Blizzard products for most of those years are pretty invested. Are we ever um, going to see another Warcraft, or are they dead with... Uh, sorry, are they done you, with those types of games? What are you directly? talking about? Warcraft Rumble is available on phones right now. It released the day before BlizzCon. But, uh, don't you all have phones? Don't you all have phones? <laughs> yeah. Um... But all jokes aside, I think it's it's there's a very different, I guess, air to Blizzard now that the acquisition has gone through. Because like there's even like Blizzard developers just openly saying things like, hmm, the next StarCraft game might not be an RTS, which, you know, just the words the next StarCraft game in a pre acquisition world did not exist. Because big big Bobby K was like, No one cares about that sci fi shit. Put it in the bin. And that's what he sounds like, everybody. I've heard him firsthand. But yeah, um, big opening ceremony, tons of announcements. Big Phil Have Spencer actually... came out. Have I what? Have you actually heard Bobby talk? No, I don't really want to. Oh, he was in Moneyball. Oh. So yes, technically I've heard him act. If that counts. He was in Moneyball? Yes, he was. He, paid a high pa- huh. he played a high-powered, money-hungry executive. Shocker. No way. <laughs> it's a bit like Donald Trump in Home Alone 2. Oh, I think he was just I there. He's not actually a slimy executive. He's just method acting. It's just the role mm. of a lifetime for his entire <laughs> lifetime. Um, but yeah, big Phil Spence came out. Big big daddy. Big daddy Xbox came out on the stage and said, we're going to empower Blizzard to do what they do best, and that's make awesome games. And it's like, What shirt it's... did he have on? He had the well-played VHS shirt. Yeah, he was wearing the purple, uh, the purple nurple shirt. I don't actually know <laughs> what he was wearing. I think it was just a plain Xbox shirt. But um, it was just more the fact that he turned up. And... I don't know why I was surprised. Like, the acquisition went through and I was wondering how much Xbox would be inserted into BlizzCon, but the answer was not much. Just big Philly D, big Philly D Spence. You say that, but it actually turns out that, like, the floor was made out of Xboxes. Yeah, actually. All of the the weights that were holding down the massive curtains were actually Xbox One consoles that people didn't want. Imagine if you were the one or like one person in the audience to like chime up, go, "Who the fuck's this guy?" <laughs> there was a lot of yelling out in the auditorium. I'm surprised that wasn't there, or somebody like yelling out something Xbox related. 
But um, overall, it was pretty well received. There was one sort of massive uh, sore point that nobody liked, and that was just that there was a uh, a forgotten relic of the past was revisited and done terribly. So the floor of BlizzCon, like I said, is dedicated to each of the spaces. The Diablo space has like a full-on library and a church, and they built like the Tree of Whispers and had it set up there, and you could take pictures with it, and there's like you know, smoke coming up and charred skeletons and it's it's pretty sick. The whole thing's like bathed in this hellish red light and then you move over to like, you know, the Overwatch area that's all like sort of sci-fi, pseudo, techno, near future kind of stuff. The World of Warcraft area was cool in the sense that it sort of like tried to embrace like all facets of World of Warcraft, which is really hard because there's like four flavors of World of Warcraft nowadays. Like, once upon a time you'd meet someone who plays WoW and you say, what class do you play? Now you say, which WoW do you play? Because there's so many. But in the corner, they had a, a thing called the Dark Moon Fair, which is, you know, an event in World of Warcraft. But at BlizzCon, it's sort of like a community area in the sense that, like, uh, you can go there and buy coins to put in slot machines that are like, you know, those gacha things? You get the capsules? Yep. Yeah, so every year you, you put your coin into this capsule machine, you turn it, you get your little orb out, you open it up. There's badges, there's pins, and sometimes you get like a super special extra item, like a prize, like a, hey, you can redeem and get a full Frostmourne sword replica, or like, you know, a World of Warcraft item that's been retired for like 15 years. Do they give you some currency if you get a duplicate, or? Uh, no, but there's a trading area where people go nuts for trading. That's the thing that I was surprised about. I was wondering why there was all these people walking around with like tons and tons of badges. Turns out these people have badges from BlizzCon's past. And so the big part of it, and apparently this is huge at Disney as well. I'm Australian, so I had no idea. Apparently just conventions and large gatherings do pins and badges, and you trade them, and you try and get the set from that year, and it's kind of neat. I enjoyed it. Um, day one, it was just open slather. You walk in there. You can do whatever you want. But the thing that they did not account for were the whales. The people who rock up and say, I will have 100 of your finest tokens, please, and then they have to go to the, like the gacha machine and put in token twist token twist repeat 100 times so that was pretty bananas so day two they put a representative at the front door and was like okay only so many people can go in here at a time they limited the amount of tokens you could buy and then a line formed and the line was ballistic it was like as long as like the Melbourne Mall. You could barely see one end of it. It just went on forever. And then it snaked past other things. It was funny because people would walk past and say, yo, what's this line for? And you're like, uh, Dark Moon Fair. And they're like, oh, so it's not for the demo area? And you're like, no. And they're like, you know, <laughs> see there's three people over there? That's the demo area line. They're like, oh, sweet, see ya. I waited for two and a half hours in the line just to see if it moved because I wasn't due to do anything and it barely did. And then eventually... The fire, mar the fire marshal actually addressed the situation and said, you can't have this many people in one area because if there's a panic, people will die. <laughs> so on the final day, they just closed down the Dark Moon Fair. They were doing like a one-in, one-out thing for a while, but in the end, they just sort of binned it and you couldn't go in. Previous years, the Dark Moon Fair was like an entire section of the convention. It was like a full-on floor. So that way people could get together, trade pins and do all the rest of it. So I very nearly didn't get to experience the Dark Moon Fair. I turned up in the last 10 minutes of BlizzCon, was told I couldn't enter, and then went around the side and found a staff member who didn't care if I went in or not, so I just walked in. So I got to buy my own capsules. Well, I walked in, they weren't selling tokens anymore, but I could just buy capsules, so I just bought a couple of them and got some badges, and that was neat, which was cool. 
But uh, yeah, that was probably the biggest sticking point was just the fact that people didn't enjoy the Darkmoon Fair this year. Apart from that, got to talk to some neat people, meet some cool people, interview some powerful Blizzard people, and that was kind of sweet as well. So we'll see the uh, content on the website at some point in the future? Sure will. I've got so many interviews with so many cool people and a couple of things that I can't even talk about yet, but I know people are frothing for us. So, you know, read into that as you will. You played StarCraft 3. Yeah, I actually played StarCraft Battlefield 4. No, sorry, wrong franchise. Sorry, StarCraft Call of Duty, because, you know, it's it's all Blizzard now and Activision and Mm. everything else. But, you know. I'd play that. Let's see more. They've said the next StarCraft game might not be an RTS, which, okay, I'm down for that. Just it's maybe it'll be farming sim. Maybe it'll be a cozy cooking sim. simulator. <laughs> oh, dude. I'd romance Rainer. Dude's rugged. I love him. Very nice. Very nice. Cool. Well, let's. Uh, has anybody played anything that they want to share or talk about over the past week? I finished the DLC for RE4. I did finish separate ways. That is a hot little package. How uh, long is it? That that DLC, fifteen bucks, and it's just awesome. It just reminds me of the, of the good times when like they companies did proper DLC packages, right? Mm. I feel like they don't do that often enough. How was the voice acting for Ada Wong? Because I know people were really cold on that. Love it, mate. It's good. Cool. Absolutely, She's she great. can step on me with those boots, mate. So. I was okay. about to say the same thing, ironically. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't the thing I was asking about, but that's well, Leon and Ada can it. step on me, honestly. Absolutely. It's like Wesker. Go for it. There's some sunnies. It's funny you say Leave that, though, because I've actually been playing through RE4. I think I'm at, like, chapter 14, so almost done uh, for my pleasures. Uh, and then I also finished Cyberpunk 2077, and, man, that felt like a punishment, because that game is bloody dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Did you what? play um, the DLC? No, I was so done with it by the time the credits rolled that I was like, I don't want to mm-hmm. buy anything else for this game. Like, wow. It just felt like a bad Far Cry game. But, like, um, isn't it the DLC that makes the game actually good and you didn't want it? Well, from my understanding, the, DLC, the part of the DLC that makes it good is the writing is significantly better. But if you didn't enjoy the actual game itself of Cyberpunk, you won't really enjoy Phantom Liberty. And then I was like, I hate this. The shooting where, is awful. The world design is pretty, but the level design is awful. So Were most of the improvements to the game just released like open slather to the games, regardless of the yeah. DLC? So you're playing yeah. the improved product. I'm, I'm playing kind of the, the, the fixed version. Um, and I still hated it. I turn, I'm a, I'm a serial uh, turn minimap off kind of person. And... An issue that I had with The Witcher, and it's an even bigger issue with this game, is navigating the world without the minimap is a chore. Oh. Why would you Night do City, that? Night City is designed like a city, and that's cool, but that's not how levels are designed. Like Cities don't have that same flow that a level does. Zach's asking, why would you turn the minimap off? I pose this question to you, Zach. Do you have a minimap in real life? Wait, <laughs> wait, no, 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 sorry. It's in his phone, mate. I was gonna fuck. I've just forgotten that phones exist, and I've just made myself look like a complete <laughs> dick. Yeah. Okay. Um, never mind. The the reason yeah, like, I turn mini maps off. I look. I look at the. Oh, yeah, do you walk around like this, like at the corner of your screen the whole time? Yeah. The 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 reason the I turn I off mini maps <laughs> is I I like to have as little UI on the screen as possible when I play games. It's why I like stuff like the Dark Souls games. It's why I love Dead Space because there's like little to no HUD elements at all. 
But Dead Space um, is very linear, though. It, it is, but even if you look at something like Elden Ring, which is quite minimalist, it's the, the levels are designed in such a way that they encourage your exploration through either just uh, like the logical flow of the level or your intrigue of going, oh, what's over there? Whereas you don't really get that in Night City in Cyberpunk because it's all just big towers and uh, and just roads that just feel like a normal city, but the signposting isn't as prominent as a normal city. So it just flows really badly. And then don't get me started on the driving because the driving is terrible. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it sounds like it was an epic time for you then. Uh, I hated it. Unironically, in the 40 hours that I played that whole game for, I had more crashes than my 200 hours in Starfield. Sorry, go again. How many hours? 40. Damn. Are you one of those people that when you get halfway through a book, you realize you might not be enjoying it, but you still got to finish it now? Ooh, well, I me. pledged Cyberpunk, and I was like, uh... I'm not going to stop her punishment to get another punishment. I might as well just sit through this one. <laughs> I did that, but with uni. For like six months <laughs> in, and I was like, this course is not for me. Three and a half years later, graduated. Oh no, that's wow. brutal. Yeah, that's that is, real okay. nasty on another level. Yeah, I shouldn't. It was it was early in, and I was like, I am not enjoying this. This is not at all really what I want to do. Bro, mm, gonna I'm anyway. just straight up not having a good time. So there <laughs> you go. Okay, well, does anyone have anything uplifting to uh, pick us up off the floor after Jordan's? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've almost finished Dark Souls 3 Have a great time Sort of hit the point where that game's like quite hard I'm just like bosses everywhere mm. now But uh, amusingly I'm playing a sorcerer And uh, I think all of the people that can sell me sorcery in that game Had inexplicably died or I just hadn't found them <laughs> so I didn't find any sorcery in that game until I'm effectively at the end of the game and then I found you probably missed it because the main I, I missed one merchant. I missed one sorcery the main vendor. sorcery merchant is in like within the first like 15% of the game no this this this. well I did find one in the first 15% but he died um, so I found one about halfway that was halfway through the game but at the point where I pretty much already effectively at the finish line of the game, just using the default like yeah. sorceries you start with. Are you doing the DLC? Yeah. Oh man, I love those DLCs. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not kind, but they're awesome. Uh, I'm having a great. They've been brutal, but you know, having a good time. Yeah. Nice. Uplifting. Uplifting. James? Apparently, apparently, Robocop is good. There's something. Yeah, cool. Apparently, apparently. I like what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, it didn't get a key, mm. but everyone's saying that. Uh, yeah, it's actually quite good. Apparently, the RPG side of it's quite quite fun. Like considering that it is goofy RoboCop pseudo sequel, so walking around like a tank. I was expecting it to be hot dog shit, but like in a in a way that only true fans could really understand. Like it's slavishly accurate to the point where it's alienating to others. But no, apparently it's good. Would have loved to review it. Taeon, what a concept. Uh, I also forgot to mention, I have given access to a preview build of, it's not live anymore, but uh, the new Star System coming to Star Citizen. That was pretty cool. They got some cool ideas that I think are coming within the next year for the game. This is the game that's not a scam, right? <laughs> Don't <laughs> even start. Look, Jordan had a good answer, so um, you know, I've I've got no beef with Jordan. <laughs> yeah, I bet you don't. Two two peas in a pod. <laughs> yeah, but what even is um, this game? Like, what do you do in this game? 
um, asked a question before and I just forgot. So it's it's hard to really answer it now because they don't have all the like gameplay features in it yet. But it's mm. basically supposed to be like you 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 serve multiple purposes. So you can do like combat missions, you can be a bounty hunter, it's just you can be mining space like, simulator. It's just yeah, more or less like space simulator, pretty much. And it's just like it's a very detailed, realistic uh MMO experience in the sense that like you have your typical survival meters um and like there's just uh like a lot of little little details that go a long way to just making the game feel really good to the point where I struggle to enjoy other space games. Starfield. Um who who is the guy that it, made it again? Uh Chris Roberts. Yeah. And what's he from again? Um uh, I forgot what projects he Commander. was on, but Yeah, Wing That's Commander, right. yeah. Wing Commander. Um, but yeah, it also has me really excited for Squadron 42 because that game looks so good. And if it plays as good as Star, uh, Star Citizen does, it's going to be real good. I bought into Star Citizen just because everyone else was like back in 2013, like, like we're talking 10 years ago. Just yeah, like yeah, so, yeah. I knew so many started. people that were buying in and they were like, you need to get on this. It's going to be the next hotness. I haven't seen shit from my investment. I think I put down like 80 bucks. <laughs> Mate, I don't know what I put like... down 80 bucks for. <laughs> I, th- I, I love... think I'm at like 1500 I love how $80 means you're not even a small fish that in that fun. pond. You're like literally a plankton. I- I'm just peering over the fence and it cost me 80 fucking dollars, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's an $80 box to try and see over the fence. I mean, yeah, but it's more like backing a game for $1,500. And even that's one of the small scale of what people have invested in that game. Yeah, yeah. But I just don't... Yeah, I don't know. My brain can't comprehend it. It shouldn't. It's not supposed to. But, like, yeah, they, they've done a lot <laughs> of work, though, because, like, the the trailer they showed up for the new Star Engine was really impressive. And the fact that they managed to get all that engine work done which means that the polishing side of Squadron 42 can be done in a faster and more rigorous manner, which then means that all the creative side is on Star Citizen, which means that um, all that development just ramps up as well. So now that the engine stuff is all done, it's actually really impressive. You use the map in that game? There is no map. Oh. Okay, well, fuck Fucking me. Fucking got you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on. Uh, James, you have reviewed yeah, what's up? Super Mario RPG. I, think that's what I have. Called. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Okay. Super cool. Mario RPG. I was hoping you might do like an orientation segue or something, something to do with maps. No, I'll try to but... try to think about you know it. Let's go to the review. Let's go to the ah, review. He did it. Let's. He did it. Let's go. Um. Yeah. So Super Mario RPG. We talked about this when I did the preview as well. But this is a uh, very faithful remake of the Super Nintendo game from. They were just called Square at the time, I believe. That sounds correct. Um, Enix. Yes. Yeah. So um, a bit of a a strange one at the time, which was like a melding of the Super Mario branding with a turn-based RPG um, was, I think, loved by the people that played it and everyone else kind of largely ignored it or didn't know it existed. Um, And so this remake, I'm in two minds about it. I think that if you played that original one, uh, you are going to adore this thing. Like it is a incredibly faithful, almost one-to-one beautifully realized version of that game that you you played and or might be curious about. 
as someone who didn't, I played a, a totally fine RPG. Uh, I, I thought it was totally fine, um, which is not a feeling I'm used to associating with a Mario experience. I think that for a lot of us, Mario is usually equated to uh, an overwhelming sense of magic. And there are flashes of it throughout this for me. But for the most part, it's a turn-based RPG with a pretty basic story uh, that wraps up in about eight to ten hours if you're quick about it. And you move on with your life. It just kind of, I think that it has a lot of cultural cash as a idea of what it was back in the day. And this remake is, you know, the best version of it you could possibly get on the Switch, obviously. But as someone who doesn't have that cultural uh, memory for it, I don't know. It just kind of, I wasn't underwhelmed. I wasn't overwhelmed. I was comfortably whelmed by, by this whelmed. entire experience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, so you call it cozy. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are elements of this game you could almost call cozy. Um, no, so I mean, for those who don't know, uh, sort of move about an open sort of overworld map in a very Super Mario old school way. Uh, as you land on different areas, you play through small sort of explorable spaces that usually have load screens in between them. They're not very big. They do offer a little bit of platforming at times, so you can kind of jump over encounters if you want to not engage in the RPG mechanics all the time, at least. Uh, but when you do, obviously, you're in turn-based battles, uh, basic attacks, special attacks, items uh you know enemies have elemental weaknesses and debuffs and it's a turn-based rpg right like this is kind of like it's a very basic building blocks are very much in place here uh it's not all that difficult you can switch between either normal or easy but there's no way to really like ramp up the challenge for yourself beyond some optional mini bosses and little side quests that you can do uh, they try to make it a little bit more engaging in that there are timed button prompts to either uh, defend yourself from incoming damage or apply more damage to your attacks. These in turn build up like a, a gauge that when it gets to 100%, you unlock these like big cinematic attacks that are very, very well animated. Like this game is beautifully, beautiful to look at, right? Um, and like they're, they're fine. They're just turn-based battles and there are quite a lot of them. Like it is, it's the core, you know, sort of premise of the game. It's Super Mario RPG. Um, and I found myself trying to skip them, I guess, uh, as much as I possibly could sometimes, because in between those battles is where for me, most of the good stuff of this game comes from, uh, it's writing is really charming. It's world is, it's, it's a Super Mario world. It kind of is what it is. But uh, Square at the time sort of introduced their own little uh, races and characterizations and just little details around the edge that make the world feel a bit different. Ash? Is this the game with the ghost that has big boobs? Possibly. No, not that it registered for me, but I also don't look out for those things if you True. catch my dress. I think we have the, uh, the intro for the week there. Yes. <laughs> Ghost with big boobs. Um, there was a, a cool little doll that I, I liked or a little puppet. I'm not really sure. He looks kind of like Pinocchio to me. Um, but yeah, like, so that stuff is, is good. It, it's the cutscenes are, are well done. The music is fucking incredible. You can switch between uh, sort of the old bit tune tracks and the new tracks, which I did a couple of times just to get an understanding of where we've come from. All of the new renditions though are like full throttle Nintendo orchestra good. Like they are so beautifully done. And just being in the world of Super Mario RPG is very enjoyable. Um, it's, it's nicely drawn, well-written, good vibes all around. Just the moment to moment gameplay, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's it's an RPG about gathering up a bunch of stars and returning them to the night sky. Sweet. Happy days. It's a Mario game. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm dead inside or not. Same. Um, could be yeah, both. Yeah. <laughs> what uh what number are you thinking about putting on it? 
Uh, I landed on an eight because like, I think it is a very well-made remake uh, and it's it's a solid game. There's, there's nothing really wrong with it. Uh, actually, I will say sometimes in between battles, you're forced to do these like mini game sections, which were like very much one to one of what's in the original game as well. So it might be running up a hill, chasing somebody who's carrying Peach and you got to like move Mario side to side and jump over barrels that are coming your way and whatnot. And these sections don't feel particularly good to me. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure why they're in here other than the fact that they were in the original. And I think if I had like an overarching criticism is that, you know, if you've got a warm memory of that original game, you're going to be very happy here. But if you don't, there's nothing here that really like translates the game to what I would imagine to be like the modern equivalent of what this game was at the market at the time, right? It's like something that came in and kind of refreshed things and provided a kind of like a weird, vaguely self-aware writing take on Mario. That's that's great. But now what that means now is very different. We we're in a very different world, fourth world breaking, uh, you know, self-aware characters. It's all very old hat at this point. And so I, I would have maybe would have done a little more to zhuzh it up. Um, but I don't think that's what this is here for. It's it's here to be a good remake of an old game. And it, it succeeds at that. Which is fair. I'm, I'm a big advocate cool. for let's remake the game that's hard to play in the modern day. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Even if it has to have this crisis of identity because, you know, what it was back then yeah. was pretty impressive. Nowadays, it's like, okay. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's a turn-based RPG with Mario on it. Yeah. Like, that's great. <laughs> I, I feel nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Nathan, you've reviewed Persona 5 Tactics. Persona 5 Tactica, indeed. Tactica, sorry, sorry. Tactica. My apologies. <laughs> Yeah, come on, oh, Zach. I'll forgive come you Come on, time. man. Uh, so, yeah, this, this is also just uh, going leading on from the preview I think we gave last week or so. So this is a Persona 5 spin-off. Persona 5 shouldn't really need an introduction by this point. Big, award-winning, critically beloved uh, JRPG with various spin-offs under its belt by this point. But the, the, the series... Or rather, Persona 5 is just about a bunch of teenagers that uh, get swept away into like a supernatural realm that is a manifestation of people's psyches. And it's when it's not set in these supernatural realms, it's set in Tokyo. Characters are very relatable. It's quite sweet. It's quite Tokyo um, is a supernatural realm, though, if you think about it. <laughs> it's quite charmingly written. Uh, great sound. Great style. It, it's it's beloved for a reason. It's had a dancing spin-off, a couple of dancing sp- there's been dancing spin-offs, there's been dungeon crawling spin-offs. Now we get a turn-based tactics spin-off, very much in the vein of the Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle games, uh, which themselves were kind of ripping on the XCOM game. So what this means is uh, Persona 5 Tactica is a game of two halves. Half of this game will involve you and the Phantom Thieves, or the Phantom Thieves sort of sitting around a cafe just chatting, just fucking shooting the shit. Uh, Isekai plot lines, you know, and what I mean by that is the game is going to tread through a lot of dialogue that is effectively the tropes of an anime genre, that is, kids that have been trapped in another world they're just going to recycle all of those conversations. So you're going to go through those for a good 10 hours or so, just just that. Um, and in doing so, you will want to do this, even if you just put them on auto and go take a piss break while they play out, because this is what the game holds its skill points behind. Its progression is effectively locked behind these conversations. So you're going to want oh, to be doing wow. that. They're fine. They're not offensive. <laughs> 
Um, when they are voiced, they're very well voiced because Persona 5 has a terrific voice cast and they've all shown up here with just as much enthusiasm as they had then. It's just that the writing is clearly from a B team. It's not bad. It's just they're filling a void that needs to be filled. So it's fine. You ignore it. You move on. The combat is the other 50%. So when these conversations interspersed between these conversations, the phantom thieves are going to, in this new world they've been sucked into called the metaverse, they're going to be seeking to find a way home. And in doing so, free the occupants of this uh, supernatural realm, which are considered enslaved. So it's got this weird slavery narrative that plays into it, but they kind of get rid of it after about 10 hours. Um, is that the second game this year you've reviewed that's done that? I, I had a slavery narrative last week with uh, Tales of Arise and it was kind of awkward Oh, then I was as thinking well. Final Fantasy, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> fucking too. Yeah, and look, all, all three of them being very distinctly Japanese lens on what are kind mm. of Western slavery narratives is kind of a bit odd. Uh, it's, I, I say it's awkward and just kind of leave it at that. I don't think it's bad, don't think it's great. Uh, the, the actual combat, the actual playing of this game is fine. If you've played Mario and Rabbids, you've, you're well and truly uh, prepared for this. It's just you've got a team of three. You're going to pick from three of the Phantom Thieves. They've all got guns. You're going to position them in these small arenas behind boxes, like behind crates, and they're going to take pot shots at these little cartoon enemies, little cartoon spirits. They're not really given much. They're not really described as to what they are. They're occupants of this supernatural realm that are mean. We're going to shoot them out from behind cover when they're exposed. We can then um, stack up combos. Exposed enemies allow you to take extra actions. If you attack an exposed enemy, combo, combo, combo. So the game is always all about hiding behind boxes, shooting an enemy until they leave a box, like leave their cover, and then just go into town on them. Um, that That is Persona 5 Tactica in a nutshell. Now, I'm, it's fine. I'm not that impressed by this game. It's it's a ninety dollar game, so it's already it's already retailing significantly higher than the Mario and Rabbids games, whilst copying their formula. And it is copying their formula. This game only has about five enemy types in the entire thirty hour runtime. It's only got about four bosses in the entire thirty hour runtime. Uh, the game loves recycling them. It's got I think four tile sets for the entire thirty hour runtime. So you're seeing a lot of the very same very bland looking environments. There's no, there's not really any textural detail. It's just an environment that's a different color that has different flavor of boxes. This one has crates. This one has cubes. That's all that's, that's all that's occurring in these levels. Very generous descriptor of fine. (laughs) What you described to me is a living nightmare. stylish persona 5 tactica gets away with a lot because it's a persona 5 game and it has all that prestige that comes with it the problem one of my biggest issues is this game tactica could have been put on any of atlas's properties the fact that it's persona makes no difference here you don't even see personas they're not really a part of this game's story um i think there's only one new persona introduced in the entire game and the rest of them don't even feature other than about four. And this is a series that has, it's like Pokemon. There's fucking hundreds of these things. So the game's not really a persona game. doesn't really tell a persona story. It's set completely separate to the events of persona five. So anyone can play this. If you've never played a tactical shooter game where you hide behind cover and shoot at things, this is a great one to start with it. It's got a great um, onboarding. It will hold your hand almost too hard throughout the first 15 hours half of the game um, but it will never let you down it's very approachable it plays smoothly it's completely bug free 
but on the downside, it is incredibly repetitive. It might be a little bit too tactically streamlined. I didn't have any challenge throughout the entire 30 hours, which left me bored because I've played those games it's based on. Um, that adds nothing new to the genre and its story, as I said, is completely filler. Ancillary has nothing to do with Persona. So I, I think it gets, it gets away with a lot because it's Persona. I think as a tactics game, it's a little undercooked, particularly when you're asking 90 bucks for it. I think it's worth half that. Um, they're just, I think it's just shooting for the stars on the Persona name. So at the moment, I, you know, I think it's fine. I think the Persona fans will, you know, they'll eat up anything that's Persona for anyone else. It's a fine tactics game. It doesn't do anything bad. It's just a bit boring. So I kind of, kind of coming in around a 5.5 or a 6 out of 10, which is, is saddens me because this is a series I, I love. I love the Persona games. I enjoy their spin-offs. This is not one that I was super thrilled with. Mm. What a fun night of reviews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're uh, really having a good night. That's it. Right. We've got some... Oh, sorry, Jordan, you go. Do you reckon the series that Persona came from, Shin Megami Tensei, would have been a better fit for this than the Persona? That actually Seeing did as... cross my mind. Look, because like Shin, Shin Megami Tensei leans less on its stylings than Persona does. So if you make a Persona game without the stylings, then it's just, you know, yeah, it's, it's not a Persona game. I think you raise a good point there. I, I think actually like Tactica, if it was a Shin Megami Tensei game, would probably be worse for it because it doesn't have that iconic style and trappings behind it. Like this game has all those aesthetic sensibilities of Persona, which helps. If it didn't have those, it would be very mundane. Cool. Well, we have some good reviews to shout out. Uh, Mark oh, well, has done. Fucking thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck. Fucking don't blame me, mate. Blame Mark. He Mark's wrote got a review, a good one. and he he uh, did a review for like a dragon, Gaiden, Gaiden. the man who erased his name, and he says though treading over familiar ground, like a dragon, Gaiden. Garden. The man who erased his name holds enough payoffs and enjoyable moments to make this shorter trip an emotionally worthwhile one. Gives that one an 8.5. Good as Outriders. Good as Outriders. Actually, this is a triple Outriders treat tonight. We've got Song of Nunu. I think that's how you say that. A League of Legends story from Dylan. He says that Song of Nunu, A League of Legends story, is an utterly excellent single-player adventure game that will see you uh, fall in love with its characters and world whether you've played uh, League of Legends or not. 8.5 for that one. Uh, Adam did a review for Kamazoo, which will be out by the time this potty comes out. He says that proving that we can all get along, Kamazoo is unique. I shouldn't think that's meant to say, is a unique co-op platformer that focuses more on altruistic actions than previous yeah, than personal glory. With a gorgeous presentation and a set of fun cooperative mechanics, this is an online experience that breaks the mold. Sorry, that breaks mold. That breaks molds, breaks molds. God, I fucking can't read tonight. And makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. Eight point five for that one. Cozy. Eight point fives all around. Shout outs. Woo! To those three reviews. Oh, giving out too many tens this year. We've run out. Yeah, we're definitely blown our quota. Mate, there's one more to come. <laughs> <laughs> The, the 10 before. The 10 before. <laughs> That's it. 
that's it. Fucking nah, we don't score early access, so that that uh, that's gone. You really dodged a bullet there, didn't you? Suck shit, we fantastic. Did, we did. Uh, did we score Battlefield twenty forty two? Touche. Uh, all right, let's go to the James. Do you want to take over? Do you want to jump? Yeah, I, I can. I can do that if you want. Um, big big day for big games. The Game Award nominations are announced. Jeff Keighley's Night of Knights. Uh, we're not going to do every category here because I don't think uh, any of us are particularly attached to who wins esports personality of the year or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I'm so, so many. Um, so many esports categories. So many. Um, I guess we will start. We'll start with the big boys, right? So, game of the year nominations: Alan Wake Two, Baldur's Gate Three, Marvel Spider Man Two, Resident Evil Four, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, and The Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom. That's a tasty honor. It is, dude. Alan Wake is just sweeping through. Didn't they come out like yesterday? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think, like it, I think it came out like right before they cut off. Yeah, like I, I've I've been mm. traveling a lot. Forgive me for not knowing passages of time, but it feels like it came out ten minutes ago. <laughs> Effectively, Seems accurate. Mm. And it's just mm, no Starfield. Mashing. <laughs> yeah, well, no Starfield, no Hogwarts Legacy. So these are two of uh, like arguably the best selling games of the year, right? Um, and have seemed to be having either a fading or zero cultural footprint in uh, at least in I, the realm what, that what cultural footprint is Hogwarts going to have. <laughs> I think that makes sense though, because when you look at the chatter around Hogwarts, like it died off within a month, mm. and the sentiment towards Starfield has progressively gotten like lower and lower and lower as time yeah. has gone on, like, and people have realized, wow, yeah. this is really shallow even for a modern Bethesda game. When it comes to so. Hogwarts, it's sort of a case of like <laughs> taking the trophy of <laughs> most technically really proficient Harry Potter esque Hogwarts, you know, mm-hmm. magic game. It's not. It's not exactly Indiana Jones like trying to sneak in there and take it, is it? It's a quick snatch. Like, like you know, mm. just make a competent game. Well, like, they did it. I, I, I know some people who like genuinely love the game, but they're like, it should never have been like even mentioned for Game of the Year because at its core, it's just it a generic open world game with wands. It was February. This yeah. this year, this ridiculous year, had not mm. happened yet. Those yep. were people flapping yeah. their gums. To be fair, though, Resident Evil 4 was also, what, January? April? January. Was it? Was it April? I thought it was March. Oh, fuck. Yeah, my understanding of time is actually completely cool. You might be thinking of the Dead Space remake, which was January. <laughs> I was, I did review that. Ah, good game. Better, anyway. Better than um, Better than Callisto. Not hard. Best game direction. Alan Wake 2, Baldur's Gate 3, Marvel Spider-Man 2, hang on, hang on, Super hang on, Mario Bros. Hang on, Wonder. Can we just... Oh, oh no. Just... You've decided you want to join the conversation well, I'm now. fucking allowed. I can't get a word in, mate, with you fucking <laughs> ramble rats going around. Um, ramble rats. Ramble rats. Fuck you, can cool, we mate. Can we just do a, a quick round the table? Who do you think wins uh, game of the... What game of the... Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate, baby. I, th- I think Baldur's Gate. I think it's a giga wins. sweep. Yeah. Like, I think they're going to win um, even things they weren't nominated wild. for. If you'd asked me before June, I would mm. never have guessed Baldur's Gate. Like, it was on my radar. I was, I was keen for it, but not like this. It's yeah. amazing because it's kind of the thing that we're going to probably talk about a bit later, but it's that GTA thing where, like, you know, next year, you, 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 you know, right now you're probably thinking that game's going to win game of the year next year. Mm. It's like Tears of the Kingdom, right? When you knew that game was mm. coming out this year, it's just like, well, it's not. Too there's, your it's a wrap. Winner for, there's your winner for 2023. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think, and here we are. 
We've been repeating that conversation all year. Oh, well, Rip, there's the game of the year, isn't it? And then two weeks later, oh, Rip, there's the game of Have the year, though, isn't it? I think well, yeah, because there's, there's been games just... in the conversation, but I don't think I've never felt that anything else other than Tears of the Kingdom would win. I didn't. Mm. The honeymoon period's over. I'm seeing actual, genuine criticisms of that game now, and they all seem super valid. Very valid. Well, like, mm. how. Uh, forgive me. Forgive me, Zelda fans, but, like, how far. Can you go with <laughs> it is Breath of the Wild but better? How how far can you go with it? Yeah, he, how far does that go? Head. That's that's my biggest issue with with wanting to put a hundred hours into it. Yeah, mm. game good, but game not Baldur's Gate three. Well, Baldur's yeah. Gate three is offering me something genuinely new yeah. as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and exactly. RE four came out in March. That's why. Yeah, and if it doesn't win game of the fucking year, it'll be re-released in four years anyway when it's remade for the PS7 and then it can try and get another nomination. (laughs) Wait, are we we talking about RE4? Oh, yeah. And we'll still keep buying it. I thought we were talking about uh, Naughty Dog with another remake of a game. No, Resident Evil 4 has been released no less than seven times in different ways. It just hasn't been remade. This is... I, the, the remake, I think, deserves its place amongst those nominations yeah. just for the sheer quality I, alone. I That's fucking true. think it should spearhead a category of best remake or remaster and win that. Yeah, I do feel That's like not they're two different. I feel like they're two very different things. I feel they, like they a are, remake and a remaster are two very maybe. You well, then he can win the best remake and... category, whatever. The, the, the thing yeah. is, like, tr- trying to define what a remake is is very like black and white. When in reality, it's just. An entire scale, because like if you're saying that uh, only games like the Dead Space, not Dead Space, like uh, like Resident Evil remakes, or even like some of the good Pokemon remakes, like Omega Ruby and Alpha Sci-Fi, where they fundamentally change what the game was like, mm. and then you're kind of discrediting all other remakes where they made sure that it's a one-to-one remake, but it's not exactly a remaster because they still have to rebuild a lot of things. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I think RE2 is a good example, right? That game is such a fundamental difference between the first original one. Like they're two, I think they're they're two two different games, really. Yeah, but but the same game. Mm. But but anyway, I, I honestly think we're, that remakes, we're not here to talk about what a remake. Remakes is. muddy the waters when they're sitting in this kind of category. I'm I'm afraid to say it. It's true though. Mm. I I would normally disagree, afraid. but you, when it's said? a game that is fundamentally different in the way that the RE remakes are, I'm kind of okay with it because it's not just a remake they've obviously gone through proper level design proper gameplay design Valid. uh and balancing and all that stuff which is what you do when you make a new game it's just because it's a i guess a re-envisioning of an older game that's where like you can get a little bit but like it's they cheating still put in the they are they copying put in their the work own homework what is effectively a new game they just have the framework already done. i'm out of touch and upset all right so we all reckon <laughs> bottle skate three do we are there any game here that any games here that we think may have been snubbed? Mm. Anything I, I know I, a game that's been snubbed, but at the same time, I think rightfully so. Final mm-hmm. Fantasy 16 getting fuck all nominations has just made so many people happy because it's I like mean, I'm, good. I meant for Game of the Year. Oh, for Game of the Year. No, well, I, I just personally think Jeff Keighley uh, came well, out still and got said, snubbed from Game of the Year. When, Dude, when did Pentiment come out? Mm. December? Uh, Pentiment yeah, was, no, like, was in November last year. Last year. Yeah. I just think it's valid that Jeff Keighley came out and said, we're not adding more slots to the nominations. We can't. Because tons of people were like, you can't just have that many. Not this year. Mm. All right, James, carry on. And you should. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you're right. Best Game Direction is the same list again. And this is, <laughs> you know, uh, I think a is category that... 
<laughs> so when things start <laughs> to get a, a bit muddied, right? Because the distinction, I think, in a voter's mind between game of the year and best directed game is obviously going to be a bit harder to mm. you know, maybe differentiate. I personally think, like, when I talk about snubs, I would say Armored Core should have gotten a game direction nom mm-hmm. just because that was a very tightly constructed thing. I think if you want to put Resident Evil 4 remake in this category instead, that would also make a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, but I mean, that, that leads into a bigger conversation about if you're up for game of the year, should you be able to sweep the rest of the categories as well? Um, well, I, you know, the- I think that's the logic because if you look at like, say last year's where pretty much everyone was like, it's going to be Elden Ring. Most mm. of the awards that Elden Ring was nominated in, it got snubbed by like God of War. But mm. when it came to the big ticket item, Elden Ring won it. And yeah. rightfully so. But, um, mm-hmm. like. You know, so it, it is it is something to factor in when it comes to the discussion about uh, all these awards. Mm-hmm. Zach, you got any thoughts on game direction? It's a game that, well, you know, I think if Baldur's Gate's going to do a sweep, I think this is a... Because the awards are based on the judges, not the fans, or not the players, sorry. No, no. Yeah. No, it's, so it's not the, the nominations are based on judges and then the actual award is based on a fan vote really i'm pretty sure yeah. no, i'm pretty sure fan vote is no. a small percentage of the actual yeah it's not oh really... is it like a weighted thing yeah like, okay yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah okay um yeah i i think that the people making the smart decisions on these uh, mm-hmm. can you know spot the difference between what that is um, yeah. Or you know what, mm-hmm. like what you know, like what the, what the different categories are. Yeah. And Baldur's Gate, from you. what I've heard and seen, makes sense that it would be in this category. So, mm-hmm. uh, best narrative: Alan Wake Two, Baldur's Gate Three, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, Phantom Liberty, Final Fantasy sixteen, and Marvel <laughs> Spider Man Two. Um, For the people listening at home, there was a lot of interesting faces when Final Fantasy sixteen was mentioned. They just everyone sort of goes. Mm. Mm. Nathan, do you think Isn't it belongs there? Oh, absolutely Isn't not. the narrative like <laughs> the, the one or two things that everyone universally praises about the game? Well, okay. So I only heard Universal yeah, I I, like, shitting on it. I read out every single nomination to my very good friend in the car this morning who is a Final Fantasy fanatic. And he said his response, and I quote, was, eh, I could see that. <laughs> So like, okay, what a glowing endorsement. That's him being diplomatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see that. And I was like, okay, fair mm-hmm. enough. That's the guy in the box. <laughs> you also wonder about like the lack of indies being nominated for things like best narrative, right? Like we'll I think only, well, we will get to indies in a minute, but like the way that these major categories are always gravitating around the massive releases of the year, I think speaks to just a... It's not a, not a literacy issue. It's just more like I'm not sure anybody has the time to play something like yeah. a Space for the Unbound, which to me has one of the best narratives in a, in a game all year, but would no, would never stand a chance of getting into this while you know Final Fantasy Slavery Story 16 is <laughs> hanging out there for some reason. Um, you know, I don't know. I yeah, I think game that, um, interesting. I don't know what the right word is, but there's a word I'm thinking of. The collective praise of, of an indie game yeah like of that right you mm. know we've had cult of the lamb we had um disco elysium might have been before that uh, mm-hmm. what was another there was another like every hades. year has like had a big hades popular mm-hmm. like hades another one right like another big indie that's kind of oh, david but this year there's been so many big big games <laughs> um mm-hmm. 
that I feel like they're either A, hasn't been that quality, mm-hmm. or they just get drowned out. I know none of us would consider it, but technically speaking, Baldur's Gate 3 isn't indie. I would mm. personally not classify it, but it is well, Yeah, Larian's an independent studio, game. yeah. Technically, yeah. but I mean, like, I, I mean, like a proper. <laughs> I I, proper I know I know what you mean. It's just like right if if you want to like go down into like semantics. Technically speaking, there is indie representation in the bold <laughs> in every three, other category. But yeah. but like I I wouldn't argue that because like I mm-hmm. personally, even though yeah, it is technically indie and Larry in a technically <laughs> independent <laughs> studio. They are a huge studio that are like thirty mm. percent backed by Tencent as well. So, like, I mm. personally wouldn't call it indie. Exactly. I would call it, you know, just independent AAA, but not indie. Yeah, but, yeah. Quick question: I'm I'm curious to see who do you think wins this award, or who do you hope to win this award? Best best direction. Uh, best, no, narrative. Best, no, narrative. Best, narrative. best narrative. Narrative. Um, I haven't played Phantom Liberty because I don't like the base game enough to play the DLC. But I think it's probably between Baldur's Gate 3 and Alan Wake 2. What? I I don't know about Alan Wake winning much of anything because I don't know that horror permeates the way that these other titles do. Um, I think Resident Evil is the exception to the rule because it's pop culture horror. Uh, Alan yeah. Wake is like weird horror. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure that it's going to gather the the support that it needs. Um, I hope I would, it does. That'd be yeah, great. It has made much more of a... An imprint to everyone than I thought it would. This like, is true. The yeah. the reception has been big for it, mm. and I, like a bigger than I think anyone anticipated. I'm gonna go Spider Man. Oh, just for something different. You think the main screen there, yeah. Hit it? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, little uh-huh. uh, black spider. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Let's also take a look at, uh, I guess, the art direction. Alan Wake 2, Hi-Fi Rush, Lies of P, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, and Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Can, Good for Lies of P. Can I just say I'm how happy, happy I am to see Hi-Fi Rush in that category? Yeah. Yes. yes. So now that is mm-hmm. a game that should win that award or be very close to winning that award. Not that they probably give you a breakdown mm. of the vote title, but... Yeah, telling. There is no second Because what? Alan Wake's just... Oh, no, there's art. I think feel like, I feel like there's art direction and there's art style, and they're two different things. Maybe they, they are two very different things. I'll also say yeah. until you've played Alan Wake two, you have no idea what mm. art direction this that thing's got up its sleeve. Yeah, you've seen nothing style, in the trailers. Isn't, hmm? isn't this is this award art style? Art direction. Art direction. Oh, it is art direction. Sorry, sorry. I thought it was art yeah. style. No, I'm. Is there an art style one? Not that I'm aware of. I don't think so. I think it's just direction. Yeah. But uh, I, I think TGA's understanding of it is they're interchangeable, which they're kind of not. That would keep in line with the TGA's understanding of language. Um, <laughs> best score in music. Alan Wake 2, Baldur's Gate 3, Final Fantasy, Hi-Fi Rush, Tears of the Kingdom. Um, this, to me, is the the Armored Core snub of the fucking century. Yeah. The score is yeah. so good. Um, and... Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I've heard similar. Yeah, I've had several people make the same mention okay. to me, going, "I wonder why that's so, not in there." I don't mm. think there's going to be a bigger Zelda simp on this site than me, mm-hmm. but I think Armored Core should be there instead of Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom has a great soundtrack, but mm. Armored Core, even just the Boltaeus fight with that like yeah. that music, oh, yeah. is so mm-hmm. good. 
Yeah. Same with the audio design category, which Armored Core is not mm-hmm. also nominated for. But like, if anybody is familiar with the um, the Rusty moment, I won't miss. Like, that yep. is yep. one of the best yep. audio moments in gaming yep. I've ever experienced. Um, but look, it, it is what it is. I'm and glad to see Dead Space at audio design, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, and that, it is very well deserved. Um, mm-hmm. That game with some good headphones was pretty revelatory. Mm-hmm. Um, do you reckon there's a chance Tears of the Kingdom doesn't win anything? Yes, I, I think so. it's a very real possibility. I then. absolutely, I think that a lot of these nominations are just being generous. Mm. Like, not to I, sound like a dick, I just think that they're just like, oh, no ninja. And the competition is just so fucking good. Uh, oh, the competition yeah. is yeah. fierce. Mm. So, yeah, um, I, I can see I, that. I kind of, I kind of hope that New Tears of the Kingdom is a win. Once again, as a huge Zelda fan, it's just Ace and Nintendo gets knocked down a little bit. Um, but mm-hmm. also, uh, so some, you know, Nintendo fandoms can shut the hell up. Because, uh, let's be real, they can be pretty rapid. They can be. Right, they're all in bed by six anyway, so don't worry about it. Can I see the, uh, the Zelda title? <laughs> Is that what I'm recording at nine? What was that? Nothing. Move on. Mm. Uh, here's a little contentious one. Best independent game. Cocoon, Dave the Diver, Dredge, Sea of Stars, or Viewfinder. Ash. You wrote a little story about Day of the Diver sure today. You want to chat about that? So it was like months ago. I just, I noticed a lot of people talk about how good the indie game Day of the Diver was. And I sort of managed to ruffle some feathers by going, well, technically it's not indie. And a bunch of people got really upset. And that was the last I really heard about it. But no, here it is in the indie category. And uh, TLDR, I won't blame, it won't bore you all. Read the piece if you want to read it. It's not indie. That's the interesting thing. It's just got Can pixelated I... graphics and a vibe. So it looks indie, but it's not indie. It's owned by a company that has billions and billions of dollars worth of worth. 12, 12.7 billion. Can we talk about Dredge then? Team 17. That that's that's well, that's the end of the day of the diver thing. It's just Dredge is gonna win. No, but <laughs> Team 17 okay, is so, a so, publisher. So what's your argument with Dredge? Right, right. Is 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 Black Salt Games owned by Team 17? Well, no, but the game is no. published by Team 17. Not, it doesn't come down to the publisher. Yeah, but, the game but, is but the argument with Dave the Diver is not that it's published by Nexon. It's that it's a developer owned yeah. by Nexon. Dave but the Diver is developed by Mint Rocket, which is a team yeah. within Nexon, which has yes. $12.7 billion worth of value. Okay. So there is no independent in that development. Yes. What? But Team 17 gave uh, Black Seat... Not Black Seat, Black Salt whatever the fuck their name is, money mm. to make Dredge. It wasn't like... How much money? What, no. I Was it $12.7 billion? Because <laughs> it, it might but not actually that, be but, that much. But, it might just be enough to get it off the ground. That's... Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the relationship of everything ever. But then we like, talk about things like Annapurna. We talk about things like Raw mm-hmm. Fury. They're all these little yes. indie labels that we, it, that we consider that, indies. That is the not, discussion happening all over the internet, but... But we had this... Like, we had this discussion last year with our own awards. Did we? We were like... Yeah, we were like, yeah, we're, we did. we're okay. going to separate indie and indie. We're going to have an indie yeah. genre. Indie, indie vibes. Indie, indie and then indie in <laughs> yeah. quotes. Well, yeah. the, the other curious thing is the fact that like the actual like bright vice president of Nexon is on record saying this isn't an indie game. So, I mean, we can discuss mm. about it until we're all blue in the face, but by definition but, uh, yeah. and I by mean, admission, the, the, it's not an indie yeah. game. But the awards say, categorizes this though, as sorry. outstanding no, creative publisher. and technical... Ad- <laughs> Not publisher. <laughs> this matters. We like, okay. So like, but on this how, semantics how, how, argument, how, then but, right, then Baldur's no, Gate that, three belongs here. I'm not right? talking about if we're if we're going on purely defining things, like then Baldur's Gate three would be 
eligible for this. Correct. Yes. Yeah. If well, it is. Have, so. It just wasn't nominated. If you're a band and you are and you are making an album with a record label, that label owns that game. That that record is being produced the, by the, that record label. The band that doesn't make you game? an independent artist. Mm. Taylor, Taylor, like Taylor Swift, is not an independent artist in that sense. Nickelback is not a, actually. I think they're actually. Um, they might be. But like, <laughs> do, I think do we have to talk about Nickelback? But all these, but uh, being a game being funded by a publisher, how does that not? How does that absolve them from that? Oh, because they're not owned. They're a self-owned fucking team. So that that's, means that's the gray area. Nobody's saying you're wrong, Zach. I'm just saying that's why this discussion exists. This is what makes it interesting. Yeah, I know. The whole point is that indie as a term but I'm is not talking incredibly... about rocket though. Like you, like you, no, like, I'm talking that's... at the widest I know point. You are. Yeah, that indie is very hard to nail down, but by definition and admission, Dave's not supposed to be here. By your trail of logic, so, so... nobody's supposed to be in here. Correct. No, no, yeah. no. Wouldn't Sabotage Studio be? Because that's a Kickstarter indie. Uh, sea of Stars. Is that Viewfinder? Oh, yeah. I don't know what... Yeah, that game I couldn't remember. And Viewfinder, I was like, I don't know what that is. That, all I'm pointing out is that that's what makes this conversation so interesting. Is because as soon as people start pulling on the thread and they sort of open the can of worms, they're all like, well, hold on. Either everyone's on the category or nobody is. But well, the difference it, right? is... Because... But the difference is Dave the Diver has a person directly involved saying it's not an indie game i don't know why we're here and that's what yeah, makes like it hilarious and i agree like yeah. that that should not be in that category but i think that same logic should apply to anything no, that is no you're absolutely right that has yeah. received funding the, to be made like i think the only thing they could make this from... more interesting is if the people who actually put it in that nomination category cough came out with a statement explaining why because i'd like to hear the thought process that effectively absolves it of all the sins that people are putting on it Mm. It can't be indie. Mm. They've said it's not indie. Oh, 12.7 billion. I actually saw like a flowchart explaining all the different classifications. What of indie? Or... Uh, on my on, on indie unless, and AAA and all that un- stuff. Unless you literally just grade it as indie being the fucking vibe or whatever you want to call it. Well, it pixel art style and a vibe. One of these things must be present. <laughs> like, Which, you know, is kind of like a, a fundamentally an insult to the concept of the award, right? Oh, absolutely. Like the, the whole purpose of this category should be to actually celebrate people who are independent well Um, by that line of logic james aren't all awards bullshit because technically they define the things that make something great and therefore admonish the actual greatness of it yada yada all awards are bullshit they are but they are yes but can we all just Um, stop for a second and appreciate one amazing thing mm -hmm. imagine if dave the diver wins and imagine if the team has to get up and do an acceptance speech and they're just like incredible uh thanks <laughs> anyway you know, bye <laughs> you, you know what i would do if i was in their position all i'd say in my speech is just word for word just the actual link to the, to the post to the of the guy time. saying it's not in big <laughs> just read out the community <laughs> note from x formerly twitter <laughs> jordan gets on stage i'm accepting this on behalf of tears of the kingdom thank you <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's keep going because um, we're still gonna hit the news. That'll be amazing. Yeah, look, I mean you, you can sort of read the rest of the uh the nominees on the on well-play.com.au. Um uh, is there any other category that anybody would like to particularly shout out? Um I was interested by performances oh. performances this year. Performance. Yeah. Performance. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's I really James hope get, before James gets to that, tell you what what category can get fucked. Most anticipated. Thought you were about to say accessibility. Yeah. Yes. I feel like most anticipated should be relegated to like a fan vote and then just released on Twitter and not part of the show. It's such a pain in the mm-hmm. ass. 
But why is that an award? Absolutely agree. Like, I don't know why. It's so people. It's the kind of thing people would slather on their box art once upon a time. But who fucking has game boxes nowadays? Everything's digital. Put it on the Steam <laughs> store. Most anticipated game awards last year. At least, uh, at least Starfield gets to put that one somewhere. Didn't they win it two years yes. running? I think they did, right? Mm. Maybe the day before. That's that's, got, that's the highest on the on the wish list, mate. <laughs> it's yeah, is it still the most wish listed game on yeah. Steam? Still, still number one on the wish list ranking. I okay. I, I couldn't find if Adam had written up best performance or not, so I'm sort of flying by the seat of my pants here. Uh, ben Starr for Final Fantasy, Cameron Monaghan for Star Wars Jedi Survivor, Idris Elba for Cyberpunk. Melanie LeBird, Neil LeBon, and Yuri Lowenthal for other things that I'm going to find out. Why Why is Yuri in there and why does Miles Actor get stiffed again? Mm. Oh, was Yuri the Peter Parker? Yuri's yeah, Peter yeah, Parker, yeah. not Miles. Uh, yeah, that's, that explains why. I, I kind of feel okay. that way about Ben Starr for Final Fantasy and not Ralph Innocent, um, Sid. I've heard Sid is in, exceptional in that game. Absolutely. Yeah. I just I really hope Neil Newburn gets it because he's also he I think he recently said that he was just about ready to quit all forms of acting right before he got cast in Baldur's Gate three. What, what? And he absolutely killed it. What was in, the role in Baldur's Gate three? Um, it was Astarian. Ah, yep. Uh, of course. Yeah. Fucking yeah. sick yeah. of that um, little vampire twink. <laughs> ben Star gonna be Mario? Isn't that what his thing was? Hello, I'm Mario. Uh, Fuck he's you. joking about it, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes, uh, also, Melanie LeBird is Alan Wake 2. Just Thanks, want to make sure we shout that out. Yeah, it's, um, yeah Alan Wake 2 doesn't... Yes. Yeah. There's no Alan Wake 2 presence in performance when everyone says that there should be? No, there is. No, there, there is. is. That, that's um, Melanie okay, LeBird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. No, uh, just just um, my point is that, once again, like it's the whole um, Kratos versus Atreus performance thing. Like, yeah. just, you mm. know, Ragnarok was Atreus' game and he didn't get the nomination. It's the same thing with, like... Najee did an amazing job as Miles, but doesn't get the nomination. Like, yeah. If your game has two leads, we kind of feel like they sort of need to get a slash or something. Get good, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my shadow is for best RPG because it has two laughable things in there. <laughs> Go. Uh, it has Starfield, <laughs> which is not oh, a very yeah, good RPG. RPG. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and then it has Final Fantasy 16, yeah, which funny. is ostensibly not an RPG. <laughs> Isn't that Starfield's ding, ding, only ding. nomination too? Is in the RPG category, yep. and they're up against Baldur's Gate. Yep. Okay. Baldur's Gate, Liza P, and Sea of Stars. They're also. I was going to say they're up against Liza P as well, which is a really strange nomination for that game. Like I, I appreciate that game's narrative and role playing choices on a very wanky, pretentious level, but I never imagined it would permeate no. the zeitgeist that way. Um. It's never going to win, but fuck, that's amusing to me. I would argue that if Final Fantasy 16 is there, they were really struggling to come up with a list for that when they really shouldn't mm. have been because this year's been a pretty decent year for RPGs. Yeah. Yes. Valid. They, they didn't They didn't chuck like Octopath in there or something instead? No, they didn't. Yeah, that's oh, a bit wow. of a snub, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah go Octopath over Big Final snub. Fantasy 16. Yeah. The other funnel, funny thing is uh, the, like, best community support with destiny 2 every year baby bungie and uh and the destiny 2 community have been at each other's throats all year because bungie just fuck things up all year and then the community is not happy about it and then bungie goes whoop-de-doo we're laying off a bunch of workers and then the the destiny community goes what the fuck and then bungie goes but we had to anyway yeah uh (laughs) 
Yeah, look, it, it'll be weird. It, it's weird hearing them be nominated given everything that's just gone down with them for sure. Um, if they win, there'll be nobody there to actually accept the award from the community team because they've all been laid off. Jesus Christ. Probably co team will go accept. Yeah. Oh, no, you can't. That's wrong studio. Oh, never mind. Uh, should be right. Anything else, Zach? Any other thoughts you want to no, get out there? Let's no, push through. Let's Fan-fucking-tastic. Let's, let's go. PlayStation Portable. No, that's not what it is. <laughs> the PlayStation Portable. Oh, don't hurt me. You're close. There, there the, were too, too many letters. That's it. That's it. PlayStation Portal gets a release date and Australian pricing. We are getting this thing on February 2nd for $329.95. This is insane pricing. Yeah, who hates for, money? Yeah. Um, maybe Adam. In this but, economy? Jeez. I see, yeah, exactly. In this economy. I see a lot of people know, really indignantly saying, I'm going to buy it. And it's like, who are you rebelling against? Who that, hurts that's you? Like <laughs> over, over half the price of the Switch. And I know I just dunked on the mm. Switch, but at least that can run things locally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. James, for the sake of everybody mm. here, I just want to share one thing in the general chat mm. here. If you could read this comment that I saw on a string regarding the PlayStation Portal today for the readers at home. I can definitely do that for you. Okay. <laughs> I just bought this device for my son. We don't own a PS5, so he will definitely enjoy this device. I also bought him some wireless headphones that will pair nicely with the device. <laughs> How much so pain been, in one statement, eh? <laughs> I know. That's, oh, that's... That's been making the rounds, and I, I think it's fantastic. I love it to death. That is brutal. Someone yeah. uh, someone in like the boardroom over at Sony made like a bet against someone that... I can get this company to make a third failing handheld, and here we go. <laughs> How fast can this thing get in the bid? Portal means death. I mean, meanwhile, Valve just released, like, just shadow drops the uh, the OLED, the, the OLED oh, Steam yeah. Deck, and like, people are loving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still can't get that locally, no. though, can we? <laughs> no, we yeah. can't. Well, I mean, so you can actually get the replacement parts in Australia, which is really funny, but you can't. Buy the whole device. You can't buy the device, but, but there's support me, for it here in our country. There, there is because there's support's done through iFixit, and iFixit distributes in uh, Australia. Right. But it's funny. Yeah. So if I order Steam OLED, I just get the new battery and the new screen, and then I just swap them out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on to less exciting news. Free Radical makers of Time Splitters are on the chopping block, according to a new report. Uh, this comes amid Embrace, Embracer Group's uh, restructuring that's been going on for a while now. Uh, the team has apparently been told that there is an assessment of their future. Uh, now, this is the Free Radical that was reformed in 2021 specifically to make a new Time Splitters game. And I know, Zach, you are not thrilled about this, are you? No, I'm very, very sad because it's got the, uh, the creators, got uh, Steve Ellis and David Doick, or however you say that guy's last name. Uh, I think it's Steve Ellis is, is his name. Um, yeah, so they rejoined because I think. Embracer had the sorry, Crytek had the rights to Timeless, and then they did fuck all with it, and then Embracer finally bought it, like they do. They love buying up IPs. Um, Me too. So yeah, this is yeah. I read this on it might have been BGC, I think, but which sort of says that uh, a bunch of the workers uh, are supposedly looking for jobs online, or have been applying for jobs, or, mm. or have made posts about applying for um, looking for work. So. Bummer. Bummer. But hopefully it doesn't uh, another, happen, so. Well, yeah, uh, ideally. But I mean, everything that's been coming out of Embracer seems like a nightmare. So 
I would not be surprised. Um, locally, Samurai Punk, which is a Melbourne-based indie studio, has decided to close its doors. These guys made Killbug, Screen Sheet, Justice Sucks, uh, some other stuff. I'm not hugely familiar with their work, but I do understand that they were beloved. Um, they have taken to Twitter to say that the landscape has changed since they originally formed the studio and that it was time for them to go their separate ways. So at least it was of their own volition. Um, but yeah, obviously a bit of a loss for the local scene. Yeah, it's a weird one because uh, I think they either they they either just did a game or they were working on a game or something. Well, um, Justice Sucks was yeah, yeah that was last a year, year and a bit ago. Okay. Yeah, are these the dudes that have the really cool shirts? They also packed? do apparel or were doing apparel, as it were. Got yeah. it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, Broken Roads, our our mates, good friends at Drop Bear Bites, have also unfortunately pushed Broken Roads back to early 2024. Um, this was revealed last week, I believe it was. Um, basically, I think that they've said that just the the scope of the project that they've made requires a bit more time to polish it, make sure it's you know looking its best when it, it finally does release. So, um, yeah, a bit of a shame. Take your time, get it ready. Uh, if you want a, a closer look at Broken Roads and maybe a bit of an inside chat with the old creative director, Craig Ritchie, you can head on over to our YouTube page, check out Talk Through. What's that I hear you wondering, Zach? What am I wondering? Little, do you want to do a spiel on Talk Through? I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, we, we kind of alluded to it last week. Um, and I think even the week before when big old Ralph was on, he was, he was pretty much telling you without telling you. It was. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, so we started a new video segment, a new video series called Talk Through, which is where we play games and interview the devs instead of the dev playing games and we interview them. It's you know it's us actually playing someone for the first time. So we had Nathan actually play Broken Roads. Uh, I think he you know he'd obviously seen it before, but never gotten his hands dirty. Um, and yeah, we have a nice little chat uh, with Craig and we play a. Uh, what's the right word for it? Like no, unseen to the public. Uh, there was some content that mm. hadn't been seen pu publicly before. So that's Exclusive. pretty cool. Um, world premiere. <laughs> world premiere. <laughs> world premiere. <laughs> I can't wait to see that a bunch. World premiere, uh, but no, like gonna be good. with an asterisk, like apart from people that yeah, have. Yeah, well, it's just a little one, but um, yeah. Uh, but no, that was heaps of fun. And yeah, that that uh, that delay came in real hot, didn't it? <laughs> it did. About, like, it, nine it days really, before really the game did. came out. But, yeah, yeah, uh, you're telling me. Audience yeah. that they were were reviewing the game when the uh, delay was announced. So I imagine most reviewers mm -hmm. had their hands on the thing, and I can't imagine that that's common for a game to be reviewed no, while I don't it's know technically. Yeah, I mean, delayed. I've had a game uh, look, I, delayed before, but not because of that reason. So you've had a game so, delayed while you got hands on with it. Correct. Yeah. Um, do you remember like the um? God, how many years ago? There was like a bombing at like a concert in like Manchester or something like that. That's ring any bells? Yeah, rings a bell. Oh yes, yes. So basically, get even the game after that, which was about a oh no, uh, a bombing oh. that was like coming. Yeah, so they actually pushed the date back of a month or something. Understandable. Um, I've experienced the inverse where we got a review code for Final Fantasy VII Remake and then it broke street date in Australia. <laughs> and so all my friends were talking about it and because I'd signed the NDA, I literally couldn't say anything even though they were playing <laughs> the same thing I was. You're at the water cooler just sipping away going, Nice! <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's cool. I wish I could play that. <laughs> yeah, that's... Um, um, yeah, that's fucked. Anyway. But yeah, no, yeah. cool. We're very, very keen to see it next year. And it's a good move. Good move. Yeah. 
Agreed. Agreed. Uh, GTA 6 trailer is apparently dropping sometime in December. So old mate Jason Schreier over at Bloomberg reported that uh, Rockstar were getting ready to reveal the next entry into GTA. Um, obviously, this was before they had said they were getting ready to reveal it. So Rockstar took to Twitter and were like, yep, look, yes, we are getting ready. See you next month. Um, Zach. Can we just... This is what fucking shits me about this guy. He takes all the joy, not all the joy, but Mm -hmm. some of the joy away from these reveals. Um, Mm -hmm. And I fucking hate it. Mm. I hate it a bit. Okay. Just just in general, like he's fucking Assassin's Creed leaks. I know that's his job and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but I just feel like, mate, let let the thrill of the announcement run its course. What, when the trailer um, drops at 3am and you wake up and people have been talking about it for six hours? No, well, I just feel well, like... When it comes out, like, it's actually just GTA Online 2, the trailer. Like, why do you have to fucking <laughs> leak it, basically? I think, well, I think that, like... Mm. The, okay, the, the emotional side of your argument, I, I understand and I agree with, right? There's a lot of people working really, really hard on these products, and I think that they deserve the chance to show off what their work in their mm. own way, right? And so if he had leaked the trailer itself... I'd be pissy about that, right? I think that that would be a shitty thing to do to these people. But I also think like on our, on our quote unquote, our side of the fence, not that we're anywhere remotely mm. in the same realm as Jason Schreier, but like <laughs> we, that we have no obligations to their marketing. Do you know what I mean? And that is effectively all it is, is just <clears throat> marketing. Like I will get excited about a trailer for a game, regardless of if I know it's coming or not. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's the trailer mm. itself that I'm keen for. Yeah. But I feel like it's not the, more like that. It's like that announcement of Rockstar going, Hey, we're going to, we're going to show off thing finally. Mm-hmm. But, you know, old mate's already done it for you, so who gives a fuck? You snooze, you lose. I don't know. I just, I, I, just I do like- kind <laughs> of agree because a lot of the talk around GTA 6 is that it's not coming for a while. So mm. the fact that they're just going to be dropping a <laughs> trailer would have been pretty. One of the comments I read Arse on blasting. social media or somewhere, where the fuck it was, they were like, yeah, Rockstar always fucking have their games. Like, not long after they do their trailers, I bet you this game will release um, Christmas Eve. <laughs> 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 And that boy's but, name was Little Danny Copium. Wow. <laughs> I still no. remember it was, it was. There were leaks earlier this year for GTA Six, weren't there? Yeah, like there was a that super massive game. Yeah. And there was that idiot that going, "Well, clearly the game is like your know, graphics is the first thing you do when you build a game." And everyone, <laughs> no. even people that weren't in the game industry, just goes, "No, that sounds very stupid. What are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah. oh. But I don't know. I just don't like this whole. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just how when you have, like, an E3, not an E3, but a state of play or whatever the fuck it may be. What's an E3, Dad? And all the announcements leak beforehand. Mm. Um, I think I mean key three. So, because that, yeah. that that Assassin's Creed one, there were there were media that had, had actually seen all that, seen all those mm. um, uh, things behind closed doors and were under NDA. Mm-hmm. Anyway, carry on. <coughs> GTA. Sorry, excuse me. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of all there is to say at this point. Do you reckon this shows up at the Game Awards? No, absolutely not. Why would no. they? I reckon they, yeah. if it was, they would have said that. If it was any they, they, other yeah. property, yeah. maybe, but honestly, Rockstar's mm-hmm. like, they, if they, we they build it... They don't need the Yeah, the if we build it, the yeah. they will come. Yeah, they will. Uh, oh, mate, Remedy uh, and Tencent are ditching their live service game, which I didn't even know was happening, to be honest, um, and rebooting development. This is a pretty massive win, I think, for the industry. Is, is um, that for the control multiplayer game? 
Uh, I believe it was set in the Control Universe. Yeah. Uh, codename Vanguard, originally planned as a live service experience. It's got a new codename uh, They've both taken it? a look. Yes, it does. Uh, <laughs> something or other. I don't know, some, some flowery language. Um, but yeah, essentially they've said that they looked at the market and decided that it is not right for this kind of product. And so they are pivoting to make it a full price thing with a strong cooperative uh, multiplayer component. Um Love it. Can we, Love it. Can we just get like a hot injection of that sentiment to like a bunch of other fucking companies? Well, this is it. I might pause the conversation until I read out the next headline yep. because they kind of fold into each oh, other here. here Sony has delayed half of its 12 planned live service titles. Uh, so initially the idea was they were going to have 12 live service games in action by March 2026. Now it is just six titles. Sony president uh, Hiroki Toto. Fuck me. Uh, has cited uh, wanting to ensure that the games are the best that they possibly can be before they release them and have subsequently delayed half of them. Um, amazing. This is a good It's good, good news. Trend. It's good news. And yeah. then on the other side of the coin, Warner Brothers say that they're doubling down on their live service. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I think their exact, mm-hmm. their exact quote was that we're taking our biggest franchises and we're trying to see a much longer timeline and lifespan as we pivot to live service. And it's like, Bleh! good, good job guys. Do you, do you think, obviously we know that a lot of their live service projects are having issues. Uh, most notably uh, the last of us two factions or whatever they're calling it. Do we know of any others um, just out of interest? Cause I don't know of any other from Sony are... from Sony. Not that Very I can funny, think I of, but um, do you reckon the part of this was also spurred on by, uh, the Bungie stuff that happened recently, not necessarily the firings because they're a corporation so they don't actually care about their workers, but the fact that Destiny 2 has had a massive decline this year. I think they lost like 54% of their expected revenue or something. Well, didn't Big Jimbo have a massive hard-on for live service? Well, wasn't that his thing? Like this is going to be the way forward. Yeah, and, and they specifically acquired Bungie because of their expertise in the live service space and like the, the network engineering thing. Wow. Um, well, yeah. So I think I think they went through and did like a. I think in one of the articles I read, I don't, don't remember who it was. Bungie basically said for the Last of Us thing was like this thing shit. <laughs> well, they did like an, they did like an assessment on all of uh, PlayStation's live service portfolio, or whatever the wording was. Right? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, these are, yeah. I, I don't. There's no way that they release all twelve. Why does this the fucking company need twelve cheap. live service? Mm-hmm. Um, the only other live service is Helldivers Two. Spon- uh, published by Sony. Mm. Well, it was the Last of Us one. Yeah, no, that's Last. Oh, sorry, of us not one, Last of Us. Um, sorry, Horizon. Isn't there a Horizon multiplayer live service thing? That Maybe. sounds vaguely familiar. Oh yeah, yeah there was that that's... stylized one that leaked. Yeah. Uh, probably from Jason Try. Nightmare. Yeah. Jason Try. <laughs> uh. Um. Yeah, good. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm very happy about this. I think that yeah. the sooner the industry pivots away from trying to be Fortnite or Destiny 2 because those things aren't replicatable. It's just, uh, and they're not, they're not sustainable. It's not. There's no. not enough room at the top. If every game no. demands that you play it for four hours a day every day, then nobody can play every game. It just e- doesn't even, work. Even if you look at like the most successful live service games, you look at WoW. WoW had a massive decline for a while and it's finally on the up. Yeah. Final Fantasy fourteen, even though it's a like main part is good, it's also getting progressively worse because playing the game makes all the classes just feel the same because it's all just becoming homogenized. Um Destiny two has gotten progressively worse over time and they saw a little bit of a bump with Witch Queen and then back down to the bottom with Lightfall. Yeah. 
uh, to the point where people have no faith in the final shape. DLC even and even the specific king of the crop, Fortnite is suffering. Yes, like yeah, yep. We said last week like the the most recent pivots of the whole like old He's island is night. just really fucking boring. Like yeah, um, yeah. But like even even beyond the the consumer side of things, like we we've seen that the the rapid expansion that can be promoted by the success, even if it's overnight success of uh, of certain live service games can be a very detrimental thing because I mean Epic basically had to fold a good chunk of itself because it had to expand so fast to to oh, meet yeah. all the demand, and then once all that demand was met, they're like, "Well, we're spending way too much," and so instead of uh, Tim Sweeney taking a pay cut, he just cut a bunch of jobs. Uh, same with Pete Parsons with with Destiny and Bungie, but like it, it's evident that like. You know, live service games can be great, but when they're all competing for the same market, it's going to come to a point where they're all just on the decline, like a lot of them have been for quite a while. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing, I don't know if it was a comment that I read or if it was in one of the articles about the PlayStation thing, is that these are studios that have been, that have existed for X years making single-player games. Then you're now asking all these people to make a live service game that they're not, you know, that um, knowledgeable on. And, uh, one of the guys from Naughty Dog, some like lead tech engineer dude of like 15, 20 years or whatever the fuck, he's quit um, this week. Right. So. And like, and like, that's not an impossible task, but I think the problem with a lot of live service development, if for some reason we see it over and over with live service games, they're developed in a vacuum. One of the biggest cases is Anthem, where they didn't even want to mention Destiny, even though that was during Destiny's peak. And it was a big mistake because they made all the same mistakes that Destiny did, but worse. Mm. Which is impressive. Mm. It, it is, is impressive. in a sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, fun light one to, to wrap things up on. There's a live action Zelda movie coming. This is genuinely surprising. <laughs> um, so this uh, live action thing, which is obviously not uh, animation after the huge success of the Mario movie, uh, is being funded mostly by Nintendo, but also partially by Sony Pictures and distributed by Sony Pictures. Produced by Nintendo and Arid Productions of the of Avi Arid Infamy. Um, this is... This is a name that we'll get to. Uh, with Shigeru Miyamoto is heavily involved. Um, Sony, uh, Ash, as Ash has pointed out here, responsible for the Emoji Movie and Slender Man. The director of the film is Wes Ball, who has done the Maze Runner uh, trilogy and has also helmed the most recent Planet of the Apes, which could still be good. We don't know yet. Um, now, Avi has produced Morbius. Uh, Derek Connolly is writing the film. He was the writer of Jurassic World and also wrote a version of the rise of Skywalker. Um, it's a very strange lineup of names that uh, Shigeru Miyamoto being on Twitter, being all like, I'm super proud of what we've done. Can't wait for everybody to see it. And then you see, this is the production behind I it. Know. it. It almost feels like the suicide squad of production, <laughs> like production backing. <laughs> you know? Somewhere else with that. The suicide yeah. squad of like staff that they put together. This yeah. Is last yeah. Yeah. They actually wrote it with like explosive collars strapped to them. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah. What. What do we. What do we think? Do you think Zelda's going to translate into live action? I'm. I'm just going to say it's, it straight up. Why live action? Well, Why? it's actually funny that this has come out because the there's a fair made like, uh, like I'm Ghibli anim- <laughs> like Ghibli inspired animated uh Zelda thing that's been mm-hmm. made in Unreal, and it's the first time that I've seen Zelda recreated in Unreal, and I look at it and I go, wow, this doesn't look like a piece of shit. Um, but. <laughs> 
But yeah, like that that like little fan project that leans into like the the Studio Ghibli styling uh, animation suits Zelda perfectly. So just seeing Nintendo go, we're doing a live action thing, and then eventually, and Link is being played by Chris Pratt. Mm. It's just not interesting. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. Oh, please no. <laughs> Yeah, like I saw a bunch of people being like, "Oh, Hunter Schaefer for Zelda." I was like, "Don't we want good actors?" Like, is that not the point of of live action? But I don't know. I just feel like it's such an ethereal property that I just don't understand why it has to be live action. It's the kind of thing that you should get some yeah. really visionary people from the art space and create something mm-hmm. truly unique, like mm-hmm. something that's just super cool. Puppets, or or leaning into the fact that you're going to make it bad and do what they did with the Monster Hunter movie. Terrible movie, but it's entertaining. Oh because yeah, it's so bad. Yeah, why not? I also really liked that movie. Oh, it's oh, it's it's awful, but I love it. I appreciate it for what it is. Not good, yes, but yeah. it is. Uh, also, Jordan, I was just watching that Ghibli Unreal demo that you were talking about, and like, yeah, I don't know how you would ever not see Zelda as an animated property. Looking at exactly like right, like, it's so immediately arresting and magical. Like, god damn, yeah, I, I, and like that, especially with the Ghibli style of animation, like it's so good at capturing like the the serenity that a lot of the environments and situations mm-hmm. within the Zelda property have. Yes. But also that like innate darkness to Zelda, right? Like Absolutely, Ghibli is really good yeah. at balancing cozy and unsettling. And I think yeah, that, that word know, again, we like that word tonight. Um, we said unsettling so much tonight. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> speaking of unsettling, how about this podcast runtime? Zach, take it over. Let's go to the off topics. Let's, let's finish up and let's go home. The nineties film of the week. I will start by saying nineties film of the week. Given that we're talking about like, actually, have I done this one? Bucks one. Anyway, it's come back again. It is a Bug's Life. Hmm. Oh, no, I don't think we have. I don't. I don't think we have. Now. How has go down the uh, anime? Not that it's anime, but you know what I mean. Go down animated. The... How is Pixar and Anime to control mate. themselves from not making thirty sequels to their movie? Yeah, it's weird, mm. eh? Do they do they do they ever make a second one? Like a shit no, one? but the have... cast returned at the end of like <laughs> Toy Story two for a gag in the post credits. Remember? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see Jordan knows. Yeah, no, it's just they were just there for like a quick <laughs> gag to to say like, oh look, Bug Life, Bugs Life two. Just kidding. Bugs Life two, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, very nice. Nathan, I finished watching The Continental. Sure. Was it was um, it a John Wick series or was it just a action series? It was mostly just an action series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. Mel yeah, Gibson playing a cartoon villain. He was, that was this very strange, the whole thing was just weird, wasn't it, a little bit? What else are you going to do with Mel Gibson as a villain except make him cartoon and just take off his filter? He just, yeah, like, random. Anyway. Yeah. Mel Gibson, eh? It was fine. Mel Gibson, Forgettable. I did some homework for you, Zach, and watched uh, a few episodes of Honor Milsha. Oh, yeah? It's fine. It's whatever. It's it's a pretty low-effort anime adaptation. It does... Something that anime folks will recognize and probably won't like. It uses the CGI anime styling that is more missed than hit in a lot of anime. So rather than using like traditional hand-drawn frames or anything, it's this kind of like CGI heavily cell shaded type of animation. It's 
odd. I don't really like the Onimusha series that much, only because it's not very recognisably Onimusha. It's just a bunch of samurai going on a long journey from A to B, where they just get ambushed by like zombies and and monsters and shit on their. So it's not sounds journey. awesome. Samanoski. Say what? The main guy from the games. Um, I mean, so that is it's not Captain. The, the, the main guy from the games is like, <laughs> what's his name? Um, Mitsu. Mitsurugi or something. I don't fucking know. None of the characters have any character. And while they're going on this journey, they just have like one fight an episode and it's like eight episodes. No, it's, it's a bit of a nothing series. What? No, Gene <laughs> Reno. Gene Reno. Oh, yeah, that's oh, your Onimusha uh, 3 reference, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. No one understood that, but I did. Thanks, Max. <laughs> that. Right, Good game though. I, I recommend yeah, play those games. Uh, anime, yeah, whatever. There's better anime out there. Heels. Mm. 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 I watched two movies. Uh, I watched Talk to Me. Uh, yeah, you did. South Australian horror. Fuck yeah. Yep. Had a really think? good time. Yeah, boy, yeah. Nice. I, I I enjoyed it. Um, did lost the thread a bit towards the end. That but, scene, um, you know, when like when we say that scene, you know, which one we're. Uh, uh is it the. The Ariaster is scene you, is what I like to call it. You get a bit of a glimpse at something. Yeah. Okay. I well, think so. I think, yeah. I think, yeah. Well, well, I think so. I feel like I'm he's not okay. Well, there's no. a couple of scenes that were, I, I had a proper like, oh, Jesus kind of moment about. Um, we shall debrief. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. Thought, it. thought it was a good time. Nice crisp, like 90 minutes as well. Love that. Um, just in just, and out. Just like the potty. Just like the potty. On the other end, I watched Babylon, finally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Damien Chazelle three-hour thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I didn't connect with it. I like I, the first I, half. Yes, agreed. I think after the snake scene, everything turns to shit. Um, but up until that point, I was relatively on board with its particular flavor of madness, even if it didn't give me what I like about his other movies, which was genuine human connection to the story. Mm. Um, you know, it was... It was a movie. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it whilst admitting it's a little bit overdone in its self-indulgence, particularly around the title Babylon. You, I assume you understand why it's called Babylon, right? Like it's yeah. yeah. For, for anyone else that's playing along, um, it's set during like the golden age of cinema, during a time where we don't have any kind of preservation of what that cinema looked like. Like this is before mm. cinema was being preserved, so it's just like <laughs> this wild west of indulgence and showiness um and then obviously babylon being this great historical bastion that we've got very little knowledge of because it wasn't preserved anyway i thought how it played into that was nice but it's three hours way too fucking long for that film yeah has anyone seen flowers of the killer moon or whatever the fuck no i'm waiting for it to come to apple which is what i nearly watched it in japan is it okay can't be long away Mm. and Mm. so ends that discussion Ash, you watch anything on the plane? Surely. I did, actually. Uh, no movies. Uh, I oh. was trying desperately to sleep, so I found a TV show called Chopped. Has anyone seen that one before? Chopped? Chopped, yeah. Cookie is, every, is everyone here familiar with Iron Chef? Yes. Secret ingredient, Maybe. make something? Chopped is like a smaller format of that. It's pretty cool. Four chefs, four rounds, start of every round, you get mystery ingredients, make, make a dish. It's pretty neat. It was actually really, really enjoyable because unlike most American uh, American reality TV, 
it didn't gratuitously like linger on stupid shit. It was just like, hey, cool, you got to use goat eyeballs. What are you making? I'm making custard of goat eyeballs. How are you doing that? Explain it. I was shocked. It was it drew it drew me in, and now I'm back here in Australia, and I can't fucking watch it anywhere. <laughs> I want to know at what points I need to make very specific directions and choices in my life where I get to your situation. I'm choosing this as my in-flight entertainment. I could be watching Transformers or like True, Babylon. True. Uh, so the Shop. apparent... I would not recommend Babylon on a plane. No, well, I watched it. That's how I watched it. That was my best way oh, to get through it. Thanks to... <laughs> no, I can't imagine the people next to you. <laughs> oh, mate, they were all passed out. Otherwise, reason, it would have been awkward. Uh, there is a method to my madness, Nathan, and that is the dreadful and terrifying affliction known as jet lag and my mm. absolutely specific factored plan to avoid it meant sleeping at very particular times. So I could right. not, as nice as it was to have all four John Wick movies there in front of me, oh, begging me to just go for it. I had to eat then, sleep then, get up, eat then, sleep then. Because it's 15 hours of flying. Yeah, I can't sleep during flights, so I, I admire that. I admire that commitment to the process. I'm, I'm yeah, normally the try. same. I'm normally the same, Nathan, but last time I went on a flight was from Santiago, Chile, back here. And it was a direct flight, so not even like the one-hour layover at uh, Christchurch Airport or whatever. Um, and like, that's a long-ass flight. It's like, yeah, 18, <sighs> 20 hours, depending on the on the, on the flight path. But I somehow, I was fortunate enough that because the um, flight, the, the cabin crew, sorry, not flight attendants, the cabin crew were... Um, raw latin americans I, I spoke to them in spanish and they're like you're australian i'm like yeah 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 and they go wow your spanish is really good and they go oh yeah thank you um and so i asked for um two shots of whiskey and the general rule in the uh, on a plate is uh a drink on the ground is two in the sky Ooh. And, um and they gave me not two shots of whiskey like the full glass oh <laughs> like the full cup and, like, I'm not a wasteful person, <laughs> but I also just wanted to lay back. So, like, I downed it, and I'm not a big drinker. Like, I'll have, like, one, maybe two drinks in a month. Uh, and drinking just not been my thing. So that thing was literally, I downed it, I laid down listening to music, and then I woke up and we landed. I was like, what the hell did you do? It was, like, 18 hours ago. It was perfect. I mean, I like, I had a, you know, I was a bit groggy when my brother picked me up at the airport. He was like, what happened to you? And I was like, uh, you yeah, know, don't lag. ask, don't tell. But yeah, it's uh, it's what you get when you drink more than you usually do on a plane. Fair enough. Next time I'll watch Chopped and get pissed. Next time I'll get Chopped and watch Pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Alrighty, uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Well Played DLC Podcast. You can check out all the content on www.well-played.com.au. Lads, it's been a pleasure. So good to see your faces and talking your ear holes. Oh, yes. We will see you next week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not a baby. it's a promise. It's coming up.